This passage does always make me nervous. On the last day, as I stand before Jesus, who, according to this passage, will be seated on a massive throne and will be separating the sheep from the goats, that is, the blessed and the accursed, I don't know about you, but I expect there to be a fair amount of uncertainty in my eternal future because there have been times that I didn't take care of someone, visit someone in the hospital or the jail, or hand money to a homeless person on the corner. I'd never moved to Calcutta to care for the destitute in the gutters there. And I have failed over and over again to even make brownies for the new neighbors, let alone invite them to come and live with me. I really want to be a sheep and not a goat. But good Lord, what if I'm a goat? My imagination gets the better of me as I picture Jesus with that kind of old-fashioned film strip, the kind that we had when we were in elementary school. And I can envision Jesus as he clicks through each frame of the scenes of my life, showing me my goat-like tendencies. And I know I can't be the only one who's ever read today's passage and envisioned the fires of hell lapping at my feet. But then I remember that the overwhelming message of the Bible is love. The overwhelming message of the Bible is do not fear. The overwhelming message of the Bible is grace. And I know that we have to keep the overwhelming messages of the Bible in context with these difficult scriptures, especially this one. And I say especially this one because rarely do we have one that's so straightforward. Such a straightforward message from Jesus. This is not a hard-to-understand parable. It's not cloaked in mystery that leaves us scratching our heads and scratching the surface of something. Jesus is explicit here. He has been talking to his disciples, describing what the end times will be like. The disciples had come to him privately on the Mount of Olives and asked Jesus to tell them, what will it be like when you come again? And so he tells them stories, parables. He had told them that the kingdom of heaven will be like the bridesmaids who are unprepared and get locked out of the wedding banquet. He tells them it will be like the man who hides his money out of fear and then in the end has nothing to show for it. Jesus urges the disciples to be watchful and wise, to be prepared for the second coming. And then we come to this passage where Jesus doesn't use metaphor. He simply says, when the king of man comes in his glory and sits on his throne, he will separate all people, one from another, like the shepherd separates sheep from goats. Jesus says it's so simple. If you gave someone food or drink or welcomed them, or you gave them clothing or you visited them in the hospital or in the jail, all of these things you did for me, Jesus says. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And that's how he will judge who to separate. Now, the prophet Ezekiel also talked about separating sheep from goats. In the Old Testament, God spoke through Ezekiel and said, as for you, my flock, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the goats. And then Ezekiel says that the goats 
are the self-seeking people who oppressed the poor and the needy. He says they were never content with being first in line to feed or to drink from the fresh waters. They always jockeyed for a better position in the pastures, trampling others underfoot. So this is familiar imagery for Jesus, separating sheep from goats. And it's familiar messaging too. The way we treat people matters. To me, this message about the way we treat the least of these is the embodiment of our biblical command to love. That command to love is the heartbeat of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has already established that acts of love are to have priority in interpreting the law. When asked about the greatest command in all of Scripture, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others as yourself. He said every Scripture, every command, can be interpreted through that lens. There is an emphasis on ethics in the Gospel of Matthew. We hear over and over again that behaviors based on integrity and morals and principle make a difference. It's not enough, Jesus seems to be saying, to just recite the law. We must embody the law as it is interpreted through love. So this statement about the way we care for each other, the way we care for the least of these, is simply an extension of the command to love. Actions, not words, are our expression of love. In the end, Jesus will say to the righteous, when I was sick, down and out, hungry, lonely, incapable of caring for myself in either mind, body, or spirit, you were with me. And I love this. The righteous will look at him and say, who, me? The righteous don't even recognize their actions. It comes naturally. But then again, the accursed don't recognize their actions either. You see, when Jesus says to them, when I was sick, down and out, hungry, lonely, incapable of caring for myself in mind, body, or spirit, you were not with me. And they will look at Jesus and say, well, wait a minute, Jesus, when did we ever see you that way? What did we ever do to you? Like some fabled king, Jesus comes to us in disguise, a beggar's disguise. And we must not, we cannot separate Jesus from the doings of our daily life. We have to see Jesus in all things, in all people. Not only in the face of those who sit next to you here on a Sunday morning, but in the faces of those who never step foot here on a Sunday morning. We must see Jesus not only in the face of the needy on the streets or in the jails or in the prisons, but in the needy faces of those in our own homes, in our workplace, in the face of the guy who cuts you off on Main Street, in the face of the person who cut you out of their life for no apparent reason. We must see Jesus in the face of each and every person, not out of fear of being separated on the last day, but because the more we understand our call to love, the more we are able to just cast the net wide. God's love includes every person, all nations, all people. As God's love goes, so must we go. 
Now, as I stated earlier, this is a pretty straightforward message. And I believe that Jesus meant what he said about caring for the least of these. The Bible tells us over and over again to care for the marginalized, the oppressed, the foreigners, the widows. It's a pervasive theme all through the Old Testament and right on into the New. This is what we are called to do. Our Christian journey has to be about humanitarian service, about caring for others. This is how we live out the command to love. But I would invite you to also consider that every one of us is the least of these. How can we not be? We are beloved of God, absolutely, but we are not God. And we are in need of a Savior every single day for a myriad of personal reasons. Personal shortcomings and challenges, both massive and minuscule. We are all destitute without God. As the author Jen Hatmaker writes, in contrast to God's perfection, we are all the least. We are all poor. Some of us just have more stuff. Now, I don't want to stand here and call each of you out, but I guarantee you that the person sitting next to you in the pew this morning is in need. If not now, then recently or in the not-too-distant future. Your coworkers are in need. Your classmates are in need. Your children, your spouse, your parents are in need. So who are the beggars in your life? Who needed you to exercise some patience with them recently? Who was begging you to listen to them because they just needed to be heard? Did you take extra time with someone who is lonely? Did you reach out to someone in pain simply because they were on your mind? Did you use your God-given talents recently to help someone? Did you notice the beggars in your own life? This is not so much about giving a sandwich to the homeless on the street as it is about caring for the people right in front of you. And the very good news is that we will not be judged on how much we did in this life, but simply by how much we cared in this life. In big ways, yes, I mean, sometimes people are doing huge, massive humanitarian acts to help people around the globe, which is fabulous but in small ways too, in the everyday actions that say to somebody, you matter. The final judgment won't be about how much you attended church or adhered to religious practices or any number of things that we have believed we have to do if we didn't want to wind up in hell. According to Jesus, we will be judged on one thing, whether we did some good in the world around us from a sea of faces, we will be singled out in turn. And standing there before God, we won't be asked about our race or our religion or our standing in the community or what we accomplished in life or how we interpreted the Bible, how often we prayed, none of that. Instead, we will be asked, what have you done for the poor? What have you done for the hungry? What have you done for the physically challenged? Ever visit anyone in jail? in the hospital, in their living room. 
there's one more thing. I don't want to leave this passage just yet. Because what in the world do we do with that final verse? The one that can strike fear in so many hearts, including mine. Those on Jesus' left, he says, the accursed will be sent away to eternal punishment, while the righteous will go to eternal life. I don't like that. I want us all to be sheep. <laughs> but there is this beautiful thing called free will. And it will hinder some from entering the kingdom of heaven. There will be some who simply choose not to obey the command to love and to love others. And they will be dealt with justly. But the Bible also clearly teaches grace. God will give every person the opportunity to repent and to do the one thing which is required of us, the one thing that in the end we must submit to, love. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, put it brilliantly in his book called The Great Divorce. In his book, he tells the story of a busload of people in hell, and they take a road trip to heaven. They're given the chance to yield to God's will, God's will to love. And if they do that, they can stay in heaven. But one by one, they choose to return to hell rather than live in the light of God's will, which is that we all be filled with an abundance of love. Lewis writes, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Jesus said he will separate us according to how we care for others, how we care for them as though they were Jesus himself in disguise. So to borrow from C.S. Lewis's brilliant writing, in the end there will be only two kinds of people, those who recognize and respond to the face of God in others and those who do not. Eternal punishment is not arbitrary. The final judgment is not some accidental outcome Nobody gets voted off the island. It is our choice always to follow God. It is our choice to follow the command to love. It is our choice to care for the least of these as an expression of God's unending love for humankind. What happens to us at the final judgment is also ultimately our choice. Amen.